0: Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, VineyardWheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our next-gen pastor, Myron Jellison, for this week's message. Well, good morning. All right, you guys are awake. The extra hour is working for you guys. You guys are excited, awake. I know that I got two extra hours because I actually fell asleep at like 10 p.m. It was incredible. The kids were asleep, and we fell asleep at 10. Got an extra hour there on the front end and on the back end. the same times. I feel great. Glad you guys are here. I'm excited. My name is Myron. I'm the next gen pastor here, and we're finishing up a series, like Micah said, off the map. And this entire series, the theme that I have really pulled out and God has really taught me through this series is this idea of being different, being holy, being set apart, not necessarily or not going with culture, not going with society and not following in in the path or the direction that the world has taken us. But we would be intentional and flip our mindset, let God and Jesus kind of transform us and help us to live differently walking off the map. And today, I believe that there is a map that culture has instilled and we kind of maybe buy into and we follow and it's with regards to our marriages. Okay, the world has a way in which we engage in marriage and what marriage is and we have to get off of that map, off the world's map and start to live in the gray and start to seek out scripture and seek out truth and seek out what God and Jesus has to say about marriage. Because here's the thing I know, I can, you can go find this too. The statistics are showing that marriage... Okay, over 50% of marriages are failing and ending in divorce. Over 50%. That's incredible. That is so high. That is crazy number in my brain. Like half of us in this room, think about it, divide it. You may get divorced, half of us. Because guess what? The church is not exempt from this either. We can see, we can see a pattern that even in the church, the big C church, all of Christianity, people are getting divorced more and more. Now, there is something to be said, and there's some research you can find. Couples who pray together, who come to church regularly together, who engage in Bible reading and prayer and quiet time together, it's astronomically lower inside Christianity when the couple does that. But for the main at-large world and society and culture, 50%, over 50% marriages are failing, and that's not okay. And that's not okay. We need to fight for marriages. And I believe that our, our call for marriages in this life that God gives us is to be holy, to be different or set apart for God. That's the definition of holy, to be different or set apart for God. And we can live this out. And I want to show us, I want to have a conversation about how we live this out in our marriages. Now, some of you are sitting here single and like, this doesn't apply to me. See ya, tuning out, I'm leaving. No, don't do that. Some of you are in, in marriages that are suffering right now. And you're like, the last thing I want to hear is about what marriage is. Some of us have been divorced once or twice. I'm glad you're here, that's okay. But listen, just because it doesn't apply to you right now and you might think that this isn't relevant for me because I'm single or divorced or I'm widowed, okay? I, I want us as a church to fight for marriages. I want you to come alongside and engage in this conversation and say, hey, we're not gonna sit idly by as the world has this weird, perverted, skewed view on marriages. And we as a church are gonna fight for marriages, not so they survive, but so that marriages thrive in this church, in this community, in this city, in the Ohio Valley. So come alongside for the conversation and let's support and pray and encourage and fight for marriages. So why do we get married? I had this view growing up, and this is kind of my perspective, and it might be your perspective. Probably was the world's perspective kind of giving me some insight into why I should get married growing up. And the number one reason was, okay, that's where you can have sex. Okay, right? Stay pure. Don't have premarital sex. Get married so you can fulfill your sexual desires. That's one reason that marriage in my brain, it was taught to me of why I should get married. Now, that is a part of marriage, but that's not the reason to get married. Another reason is, oh, you need to share your life with somebody. You need to build a home with somebody. You need somebody to cook, clean, cuddle, and and do all that stuff with, and and have a family, and build a household. Yeah, those are things that happen when you get married, and should be things that you do when you get married. But that's not the reason that we should be getting married. I had missed it my entire life, and I'm just now starting to realize, in four years of marriage, what true marriage is supposed to be. The real reason I think that God wants us to engage in marriage and the reason we should be married is this, marriage to display Jesus to the world around us. That's radical in our thinking, isn't it? It's not about me. It's not about my sexual desires. It's not about my wants. It's not about my needs. It's about engaging in an intimate relationship with another human being that will reflect the relationship between God and me. It's Jesus, what he has done and what he has done in my life and that intimate relationship and what he has done for me is how I can get married and reflect that relationship to the world around me. It's not about me. It's about reflecting Jesus, displaying Christ to the world around us. That's holy marriage. That's a different marriage. Now, there is singleness talked about in the Bible. And I think that we need to talk about singleness for a second, okay? Singleness is good. If you read the Apostle Paul, okay, he's a, he's a rock star. I mean, what a, he wrote most of the New Testament. The dude had some insight and some knowledge and God used him. And he said that it would be better for you to be single. He said it would be better for you to be single because why? Because your devotion to God is not divided. Your love and your commitment and your walk with God is not divided because you don't have a spouse or a family that you have to care for. You can walk this life completely serving and surrendering and devoted to God. Singleness is good, but you have to remain pure in your singleness too, Paul says. So singleness is good. So some of us might have a call on our life to be single, and that's okay. You may be single now, but maybe not forever, but be pure and be okay, and your singleness, singleness is good. But marriage is also good, and the Bible talks about how marriage is good. So singleness shows our devotion to God when marriage should display God to others. Singleness is our devotion, shows our devotion to God, okay? But marriage should display Jesus to the world around us. This is a new way of approaching marriages. And this this is what God's call is for our life. So what does holiness look like in our marriages? What is this different mindset when it comes to marriage? Now, another quick disclaimer, okay? Nothing that we talk about today Okay, is an excuse for you if you are abusing somebody to continue in your abuse. Okay, or if you are the person being abused to just sit there and take the abuse. Nothing that we talk about today is an excuse or a validation to continue on abusing or to sit and take the abuse. Do not confuse what we are about to discuss and look at what biblical holy marriage is supposed to be about. Oftentimes in church, we talk about the cross that we have to bear, the uncomfortable things that we have to, to go through in order to follow Christ. There's a lot of things that, that, that are uncomfortable, but this is not one of them. When it comes to marriage and abusive relationships, this, what we're about to talk about does not apply here. Do not confuse this. There's actually parts of scripture that talk about the very opposite of in abusive relationships, how to get through and to manage that. So we are here. We are your church. We love you. And if you are in a, an abusive relationship, do not leave here today without coming to talk to me, another pastor, another prayer team member in the back. I would urge, beg, and pray that you would come get help and that you would take your next step. Do not just sit and take it. Don't ever confuse these words. So before we start, I wanted to make that quick disclaimer because I don't want to have to always disclaim that when we talk about some of these things. It would just be choppy and interrupt the flow. So there's the disclaimer. So Ephesians 5, if you've got your Bibles, Bible app, whatever, if you want to go to Ephesians 5 and follow along, that would be great. So we'll be in Ephesians 5, starting at verse 21. Now, if you're following along, I want you to underline, circle, highlight a conditional phrase. Or if you're just going to watch on the screen, which is great, I want you to notice, identify, and remember the conditional phrases as we read through this. And conditional phrases are like this. Unless, or except when or only if, those are conditional phrases. So I want you to remember those, mark those down, note those as we read through this. Ephesians 5, 21, submit, he's talking about in marriage, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, unless, oh no, hold on, that's just a period, sorry. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, ladies, some of you know exactly what's coming next, or you've already read this next verse, Or you're gonna see it on the screen and you're already getting a little bit huffy. You're already getting a little bit unsettled. But hold on. Did you read the first verse? Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's equal submission. Here's the thing I want you to keep in your mind as we go through this entire conversation. God and Jesus are exactly the same in power, authority. Okay, they are equals. But when you read scripture and look at what Jesus did here on this earth, he always submitted to the Father's direction and leadership. They are equals. Man and woman, husband and wife, you are equals and you are to equally submit to one another. But we're going to see submission probably comes with a little bit of adhering to the leadership of the man. Adhering to the, like God is, Jesus adhered to God's leadership and direction. He submitted to God. They were equals. We're equals. And we should be submitting to one another equally. Don't miss that first verse. Verse 22, wives submit to your husbands or submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And we've heard this, and this phrase has been misused all the time about submission, talking about, it's like slavery. It's like, well, dictatorship, force, coercion, control, making me do all of these things. We've missed it, okay? But what is your reason for submitting, wives? Not because he deserves it, not because he's earned it, but because Christ has earned it for you because you have surrendered and submitted your life to Christ. If you are following Jesus and you've surrendered and you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior and you're accepting the sacrifice on the cross for the payment of your sins and you're following him, that is why you are to submit to your husband. Not because he earned it or deserved it, but because Christ earned it for him. But you're like, well, he's a moron or he's an idiot and he's not doing the right things. You you didn't hear me. You didn't hear me. You're not getting it completely. It's because of what Christ did for you. And I want to give us a definition of submission that I think we can work with and chew on and kind of maybe apply. And I added this late, so it's not on the screens, but you might want to write it down. I'll say it slow. I think the definition of submission is an inclination or a posture, an inclination or a posture to respect and honor the husband's leadership, an inclination or a posture to honor and respect the husband's Leadership. Because the husband should be a leader. And I think God has designed and equipped and calling husbands to be leaders. And we have attacked masculinity in our culture and in our world, and we have de-leadered the man. We have removed them from that responsibility in which I think God intended them to have that responsibility. And here's the thing about a guy, I believe, in, in the marriage as being the appointed leader. He will have to stand before God one day and be held accountable for everything that he did with regards to how he treated his wife and fathered and raised his kids. He will stand before his creator one day, regardless if he's following Christ or not, and he's going to be judged or held accountable to how he fathered and how he husbanded. If husband's even a verb, I don't even know if it is, but how he husbanded. He's going to be held accountable to that. There's some leadership. There is some accountability that is placed and a burden that is placed on us men. As we enter into the marriage covenant, okay, women, and I'm asking you, and I'm, 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 I'm gonna challenge you to think about this in a way in which I want to support, love, respect, and honor that burden that my husband has in leading me and leading our family. He's not a dictator. Men, we have to stop being dictators and stop using this submission verse to coerce and force our wife into to do the things that we want her to do and meet our desires and needs. We've missed it if we are using that verse for that reason. That's not what it was intended for. That is what the world might've caused us to to think. Men, we should be leaders, not dictators. Submission is not control. Submission is not control. Submission is honoring and respecting the burden and responsibility of the man's leadership to the household. And it says this in verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife. Some translations say this, for the husband is the head of the household as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And if you're still tuned out thinking this is archaic, this is crazy, I am not gonna submit to my husband, that's so old school, I wanna walk to the new school 2019, right? 50%, over 50% of marriages are failing, And we could argue that uh, feminism is on the rise and well in being and and we've started to captivate a gender and put them on a pedestal for what women can do for us sexually. We have kind of idolized them for sexual beings and not honored and respected the true image and value and worth of a woman. We've missed it in culture. And we've put unreal expectations and we forced them to live up to some ideals and and standards in which they were never designed and women were never designed to, to be called into those expectations and those ideals. We have had an attack on femininity. Men, we have missed it. We've blown it in this area. We're not honoring and respecting and valuing women for who women are. Divorce rate's over 50%. That's old school thinking submitting to my husband you know but i want us to walk to the new school or the old school i want us to go back to that old school and think for a minute maybe this is how it's supposed to be i'm going to give it just a fair shake i'm going to give it a fair fair go at it as we continue this conversation but we cannot forget the first line verse 21 submit to who one another out of reverence for christ this is not a one way street this is not a one way street and if you're still thinking that's messed up hold on we're going to keep going husbands we have a very difficult and high command placed on us as well. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up to her. Question, did Jesus submit to the church? Yes. How? Until death. That is what his submission, his servanthood, and his love caused, or he had to go through, he had to perform and serve and do, was until death to serve and love you and I, his church, his people, his followers. So if Jesus is saying now, love your wives as Christ loved the church, we have to be willing to die for our wives, men. And that's rough, isn't it, to think about. Just for a second, think about it. I have to apologize to my wife, Emily, daily because I don't know if I'm strong enough and have the willpower to be able to do that. I'm letting her down, but I'm committed to trying, man, because I know that's what the call is on my husbandness. That's what the call is. That's what he's asking me to do, not because I'm some superhero or I got something to prove, but because Jesus Christ did it for me. And if I'm accepting him, then I in turn have to love my wife in the same way, being willing to die for her physically if that's what's required of me. That's radical, it's crazy. And yes, a physical death may be required, okay? In some, some cases, and we have to be willing to say yes, but we have to die to our dreams, our passions, our wants, our desires, our, our future, whatever we have in, in our brain and where we think we're going, we will have to die to them to love this woman well and to bring her in and to lead her and to lead my family well. This is how we love this is how we love our wives we first 26 to make her holy cleansing her by washing with water through the word And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. My goal as a husband is that one day when Emily will stand before her creator, I would present her in a way that I have treated her and loved her and supported her and respected her and submitted to her in a way in which she would stand before her creator without wrinkle, stain or blemish. And I have an issue, a problem, and you might as well, of throwing mud and dirt on the same person that I am supposed to be presenting as blameless without stain or wrinkle. Guys, we've missed it. Husbands, we've missed it. We're falling short. We're failing our wives. We're failing humanity and society and modeling to them what manhood and leadership looks like when it comes to being a husband. In the same way, verse 28, it goes on. Husbands ought to love their wives. This is funny to me. There's one line about wives, submit to your husbands. And the rest of it talks about the husband. I think there's a bigger burden, man. There's a bigger call for the husbands and we have to step up. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. And for this reason... Everything we've just mentioned that he would submit, that we would submit equally, that we would love and cherish and take care of and feed and nurture and lead. For that reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Not for any other reason, not for sex, not for for companionship, not for meeting my needs and wants and desires, but for those reasons, we are to leave our father and mother and be united to our wife becoming one flesh. This is a profound mystery but I'm talking about Christ in the church. So husbands, what does leadership look like in your marriage? What does leadership look like in your marriage? And I wanna, go to, I wanna go see what Jesus talks about leadership. And this is what he says to his disciples in Matthew 20, 25 through 28. He calls them together. Jesus called them together and said, his disciples, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. The people who had authority, the people who are in leadership were exercising their authority over who they had the authority to exercise their power over. And Jesus flips it and says right here, not so with you. You see, you know, the world's perspective on leadership, or the world's perspective on, on having authority and power or whatever is to use it in a way in which is self-beneficial. Leverage it for your own good. And Jesus is saying, uh uh not so with you. You're going to be different. You're going to be holy. You want to be great. You want to be a leader. This is what you are to do. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What is the call on our leadership, husbands? If you want to be great, if you want to be a good husband, if you want to be the leader that you are called to be and carry that burden well, you are to be a servant, not to get served by other people. You are to squander your wants, desires, visions, dreams, and hopes and act on the benefit of the team, act on the benefit and the people who have been placed inside your care. That's what leadership is. You got to act like a slave even. If you want to be great and be first, act like a slave. Serve them in ways in which you would probably never serve them. Always be proactive in putting your family first and not you first. That's what it means to be the leader that he's calling you to be in your marriage. Even unto death. And it says, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even if it causes us to have to die physically. That's what our call is in marriage. And he sums it all back up for both husband and wife in verse 33. 33, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Unless, uh-uh, I didn't see that. Oh, oh except when, no, didn't see that. Only, no, there's no con- conditional phrases. There is no condition for your love to your spouse. There is no condition the weight that has been placed on our obedience to serve Christ in our marriages is this. Christ loved you. You love them. Christ loved you so radically with self-sacrifice on the cross for you. You are in turn to love them with everything that you've got. And love is not selfish. It is patient. I mean, there's a whole whole verse about what love is. Christ loved you. You love them. And husbands, if you love your wife with this kind of radical love, I know that she's gonna respect and honor and value your leadership. And wives, when you don't put conditions on your respect and and your submission and your honoring of his leadership, the husband's gonna in turn, I feel feel like he will love you with everything that he's got because he knows that you are on his team, on his side, pushing him forward to be the best husband, leader, person in the workforce, whatever he does, he will love you and cherish you because you respect him. It's funny how he wrote verse 33 in a way in which the submission, the equal submission that's in verse 21 looks a little bit different for men and women because men and women have different needs, right? And he says, husbands, love your wives because women need to feel loved and cherished. I mean, they need, this will be intimate real quick. My wife, I call her a flower. Like she needs to be viewed and cherished and nurtured and cared for and watered like a flower. I can see her smiling right there. As a flower, She's a diamond, she's precious. And I have to treat her and I have to love her that way. Okay, guys, we don't necessarily need that mushy, gushy love stuff, do we? But men, we need to feel respected and honored. We need that. So he says, your submission to one another is not the same. It will not look the same. Husband's love, wives submit with respect. Husband's love, lay your life down for her and then she will respect and honor and value your leadership. Now, this is not gender ruling. Please don't hear me say this, okay? Of like, okay, the husband does this, this, and this. The wife does this, this, and this. No, we all have gifts, talents, abilities, passions. You are a team and you work out who gets to function and do what best, okay? The man doesn't necessarily have to do the finances. The man doesn't necessarily have to make the most money, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But when push comes to shove, when the rubber's gotta hit the road, who's gonna be held accountable for the decision? I believe the man. So we have to respect, value, and honor the man because he's got that burden on making the right decision. He will stand before God one day and be held accountable. We have different needs as men and women. And here's a different type of marriage, right? Here's a different view, a different perspective, and a different type of marriage. And when you try to love and outserve and out-submit the other person, you will not have a marriage that thri- or survives. You will have a marriage that thrives. I believe that when you are constantly acting out of the benefit of the other person and the other members of your family, that is where a thriving marriage exists. So I have a cool little chart in your program or in your uh, study guide. If you want to follow along through that, please do. Take some notes down and get ready for a small group this week. So marriage, a different type of marriage. The world has its view and then God has his view. Okay, and I want to give us three areas. Marriage exists. Why does marriage exist? The world would say it's to make me happy, but God would say it's to make you more like Jesus, to make me like Jesus is God's view. Do you know what kind of weight you take off of your spouse <laughs> when you wake up every morning, not expecting them to fulfill your wants and needs and desires for that day? Do you know the burden that you lift off of them when they don't have to have this expectation that you have to provide for them and meet their wants and needs? It's incredible. It's incredible when you can remove that burden. But instead we have a mindset and a perspective of God's perspective. How can I be more like Christ? Regardless of how they treat me outside of abusive relationships, we've already talked about that. Regardless of how they treat me, what they say, what they do, what they don't do, how late that they are, that when I'm hurt, when I'm frustrated, I go, how can I be more like Jesus? How can I be more like Christ in this moment? When they've failed me, when they've disappointed me, when they have let me down, I say, okay, but how can I be more like Christ in this moment? And instead of switching it, and when we go, when we get hurt and frustrated, we lash out and retaliate and say, I can't believe you let me down. I can't believe you didn't do this for me. I can't believe you disappointed me once again. And we say, No, no, no. How can I be more like Christ? Because we have this idea in the world that our spouse is supposed to complete us somehow. Like it's supposed to to like give me completion in this life. But think about it. How can somebody complete you who's incomplete themselves? Doesn't make sense, does it? And what will happen is when, when, when you try to fill that void in your life of completion with your wife, okay, she will disappoint you and leave you frustrated. Because guess what? She was never meant to fill that void in your life because it was designed only for Jesus Christ. He is our only satisfaction. He's the only way in which we can have complete contentment, satisfaction, peace, and joy in this life. He is the only one. And when we put our spouse in there, we put our spouse on a pedestal that they were never meant to live up to and they will let you down over and over and over again. And if that goes on for a long enough time, 50% divorce, I think that's why it's happening in our culture. If that goes unmanaged for too long, I think we end in Separation. But how can I be more like Christ when things feel off or not going that way? And if your marriage is in shambles and your marriage is hurting right now and it's on the rocks, check this box first and have this conversation with your spouse first. What am I seeking to gain from you? What am I seeking to gain for you? And I hope it's not completion and satisfaction and complete joy in this life because your spouse was never designed and meant to fill that void Jesus was. And your spouse is the one in which can help you be more like Christ. You get to experience what Jesus did and his radical love for his church through an intimate bond of marriage. And it is to display Christ, not to make you happy. Because we have this perspective of the world too, that you are to meet every need, want, and desire that I have, fit into my Pinterest and Instagram perfection family that I have seen, right? But guess what? You know the thing about Pinterest and Instagram? Is people just had to dress up and smile. I mean, it wasn't like, like we pull out Instagram Live or Facebook Live or Snapchat and go, oh, crikey, mate, she's mad. Oh, she's about to let me have it. No, we don't do that. We don't do that. We take the best parts of people dressing up, doing their makeup. We had a fight in the car to the photo shoot, but we get there, smile. I don't wanna smile. I'll give you ice cream. Smile, everybody smiles, take a photo. We put it out there and then we compare it to our life. It doesn't exist. That doesn't exist. That's not reality. So we got to quit comparing. Comparing will leave us more frustrated and empty. How can I be more like Christ? Not to make me happy. Marriage exists to make me like Jesus, not to make me happy. Another thing on the second line on the chart, serving one another. The way in which the the world views serving one another in marriage is kind of like this. I'll go if you go. If you'll do this, okay, then I'll do this. But God's view is, I will do this even if you won't. I'll go even if you don't go. And I want to give us a visual for a second. You guys ever seen those, uh, those uh, scales that are two baskets on each end, and you kind of put some stuff in here and put some stuff in here, and you try to level it out? Track it with me here, or am I, you got me? Okay, okay, here we go. Here's how the world views marriage. Okay, I took out the trash. I fed the dog. I uh, made the bed. I took the kids to school. Hey, hey. You need to pick up your slack over here. Okay, so I washed the dishes, and then I mowed the grass, and I cooked dinner. Okay, we're good. End of the day, we've equally done enough things, and we've served each other equally. All's good in the marriage. But guess what? You have a 50% chance that 50% of the time, this thing will be equal at the end of the day. And over a long enough period of time, when the scales are out of balance, we end in 50% divorce. It's the, it's the track and, and what we see in society and culture. But here's what we do as Christ followers. We, Jesus Christ is like a 3 billion ton weight. I know that's crazy and but We can't even imagine that. But that's what he is like. And he's on your side of the scale. And you take everything that they do and put it up against what Christ has done for you and it doesn't match up and you're Okay because you're like, because of what Christ did for me, I will serve because what Christ has did for me and how he loved me, I will love. And I will not expect anything in return. And that's radical and that's hard. You know why that's hard? Because we, our biggest fear in our marriage is that we will get taken advantage of. We'll feel at the end of the day where they weren't pulling their weight and I feel taken advantage of. And I wanna give you this for a second. You may be practicing Christ-likeness in your marriage when you feel taken advantage of. And I know that's hard. Because guess what? Christ got taken advantage of. No, he didn't. He got a a fair trial, right? No. Well, he had to to do what he had to do. That was his purpose. Listen, he did not deserve to be treated the way that he was treated. Outcast, spit on, beaten, and hung on that cross. He did not deserve it. But he did it for you. Same thing, you might not deserve it outside of abusive relationships, what your spouse is doing, but because of what Christ has done for you, you submit, you serve, and you love. That's the call for us. I will go even if you don't go. Because it's not, we don't feel like Christ when we're sitting in our PJs, eating ice cream, binging our favorite Netflix show, like, oh, now I know what Christ felt like. No, but it's when we look at our spouse and go, you don't deserve this, you haven't earned this, but you know what? He has earned it for you and I will serve you no matter what. I will love you no matter what. Husbands, I will lead you well. I will make decisions for the benefit of you and my family over everything else. That is when we get to experience what Christ is. That is how we can reflect Christ to the world around us in our marriages. And I know some of you are here today whose spouse isn't a believer. And I know that's the hardest thing you probably have to navigate in this life. And I want to pray for you. I want this church to fight with you, to be praying for that spouse, that they would be ready to make that decision and come and join us and be a part of the church and grow in their faith and walk. And I know that's so hard, but here's the fact, and I know you're not going to want to hear this. You are their best chance of seeing Christ. You are their best chance of coming to know Jesus by the way you love them and serve them, respect them, and submit to them. And I know it's hard and it feels unfair, but you are their best chance. So will you make that commitment to reflecting Christ to them? And maybe even at your workplace or with your family members, the way in which you talk and treat and discuss things about your spouse, people look like, I can't believe you're not bashing him. I can't believe you're not talking bad about your wife because she's not doing this. No, I'm not. I love her. I love Christ. He did this for me. I'm doing this for her or him. That will speak volumes to people. That will, that will go against the map of culture and marriage and people will start to take notice. The last thing is some tendencies in our marriage, okay? I would say the world has a tendency to view marriage as tear each other down. Look at each other's faults and failures and just tear each other down. But God's view is a marriage should build each other up. Our culture and society has done a terrible job of modeling masculinity and femininity. And Chris has talked about this. Masculinity is under attack in 2019. I mean, it's been on attack for a while. We have demanned the man. We've domesticated him, so to speak. And when he was never meant to be, he was meant to be a leader, adventurous, taking on new battles, fighting for things. That's what we were designed to do, but we have demanned the man in our culture femininity. We have defeminized the woman and we have created some unreal expectations and ideals that they're supposed to live up to that they were never designed to live up to. Masculine and feminine are under attack. And here's what happens. Some of the women get together. Uh, Yeah, not not we women, uh, you women, we women, I know confusion here. But women get, we as a church, all of us, humanity, we get this. Women can get together in the world or at the workplace and start to gossip about their husbands start to talk bad about them, start to tear them down in front of their peers and their coworkers and their other family members, talking about his faults and failures and his shortcomings. And we're like, well, everybody else is doing it, so that's what we do. Well, by mere definition, that's not holy. That's not set apart. And I think if you're buying into that, you're you're going in direct contradiction to what scripture and Jesus is saying about marriage. Marriage. You cannot come to church or worship God and praise his name and then tear down your husband because your husband is supposed to be a direct example and model of what Christ has done in your life. You can't let two different things come out of your mouth. Either you accept Christ and then you accept your husband. You can't have one or the other because you're not gonna tear down Christ and what he did for you, are you? So you cannot tear down your husband and tear him down, belittle him. It's not just not nice, it's not godly to belittle him, undermine him and rip away from him the leadership and responsibility he was supposed to have. And we wonder why our husbands isolate themselves, don't want to engage in intimate conversation because every time they do, they just get smacked down. We have to tell our husbands that they can succeed, that you are worthy, that you are enough, that you are a leader and I support and respect you. You do that, your husband will feel like the most biggest, his ego will be through the roof and he'll be doing everything to serve you in return. I believe that. Husbands, femininity, we've done a terrible job because what what has happened is we look at women when they walk by in yoga pants. We look at women in swimsuits inappropriately, don't we? We wander on websites or on our phone of, of consumption of material, don't we? And and we wonder why our wives don't want to open up to us sexually because they're self-conscious about their body and their image because you have some warped images in your brain of consumption of what you're doing. So when a girl walks by, if you check her out, how dare you do that to your wife? Husbands, when, when you're looking at websites and material, how dare you do that to the image of your wife? You know, when you're watching TV and there's a model or somebody looks hot and you're like, man, she's hot, babe, isn't she? Stop that. Because every woman asks in their heart, am I pretty? Am I good enough? Am I enough for him? Does he like the way I look? Women ask that all the time, don't they? I hope so. Get some head nods out there. So men, we cannot answer these in the negative. We have to answer them in the affirmative both ways. Women answer these things in the affirmative, telling your man, you're good enough. You're a leader. You are, are all that I need outside of Jesus. But you are everything that I need in a husband. Respect him, love him, serve him. Not because he deserves it, not because he's earned it, but because Jesus Christ has earned it for him or her. That is why. That is your obligation to submit to your husbands and and to submit to your wife equally. Not a one-way street. Not a one-way street. Now, if you're not a Christian, this model of marriage still works, believe it or not. Because guess what? The scales, it's 100 and 100. You break the scales. <laughs> You've literally broken the scales because you're, you're trying to outserve one another. You do that regardless if you have Jesus, and you'll have a successful marriage. You tie Jesus into that and you pray together, worship together, come to church together, you'll have a thriving marriage that people will be envious of and they'll say, Man, I want that. You guys look like you have joy. You guys got some peace. You guys are having an amazing life. And you can be an example reflecting Christ to those around you. If you're not married yet, if you're single, pre-decide right now that you will engage in your future marriage this way. That you will have the view of marriage that is to reflect Christ and find somebody who can help you become everything you need to become as a Jesus follower. Make that decision and don't settle, but choose well when you start to pursue your future spouse. The current model and mindset of marriage isn't working and we see that in the statistics. We have to change. We have to flip our mind. We have to live out this call of holiness with regards to marriage. We have to do this differently. We have to do it better. Men, we have to be better leaders. We have to serve. We have to die to our dreams, wants and desires. And if we have to physically die for them, we have to. It's a big call and women submit, have an inclination and a posture to honor and respect the man's leadership. That will be a thriving marriage. Try to outserve one another every single day. Always think, how can I serve her better? How can I serve him better? Every single day, you'll have a thriving marriage. Now, if you're sitting next to your spouse, I want you to grab her hand or his hand. I want you to hold hands or touch knees or something. I want you to do that. If If you're single, you just need to visualize your future spouse one day. If your spouse isn't here, visualize them in your brain. And I want us to make a commitment to not just sit here and listen to the theoretical side of, okay, this looks great, Myron. This seems like this is how it should be. But go home, make a commitment, holding your spouse, visualizing them in your brain, that you will talk about the specifics in your life and in your marriage. That you wouldn't walk out of here and go, that was good, and not actually apply this and begin to live this out. Talk about What you need? What does respect and honor look like to the husband? Wife, what does loving you with unconditional, cherishing you like a flower and a diamond look like to you? And begin to implement this in to your marriage. If you're single, practice holiness and practice purity now to set yourself up for an amazing, thriving marriage when you decide to do so. If you have a call in your life to be single your entire life, and some of us do, keep your devotion to God and solely surrender and serve him. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for the sacrifice of of yourself on the cross, that you loved us so radically and unconditionally, willing to lay down your life for us. And God, I pray that you would help us emulate you in our marriage, that you would help us be more like you and use every instance and situation and circumstance and heartache and, and, and success and celebration to make us more like you. Help us see how we can become more like you, how we can reflect Jesus to the world around us in our marriages. And Father, I do pray for marriages in this church and in this community, in the Ohio Valley and the entire world. We lift them up to you and and pray that your spirit would begin to help transform minds and hearts to have your perspective and not the world's. We would have your mindset and your posture and the way in which you want to conduct our marriages more than the way in which the world is teaching and showing us. And we just surrender to you in this moment. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. In addition to these podcasts, please come visit us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling, Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11.15, and experience these encouraging messages, some incredible music, and so much more in person. We would love to meet you. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.